Hello and welcome to Kune Quest episode 267. I am your host, coming up from a breather from binging Stranger Things, Mike Apps, and with me as always. Uh, three different versions of East Deep, the Bernie Family Master. And uh, living his Vita backlog, your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Gaiji Minogatari. Nice. Yeah. Just what I played this week. <laughs> the Vita? East. East. More East. Um, oh, more East. East? Three different versions of East. The first one? Yeah. Three different versions of the same game? Yes. Was one of them the Sega Master System version? Yes. Oh, no. Why are we doing this? Is for comparative uh, because, analysis or what? Yeah, just because I think it's fascinating. Uh, I played a bit of the Master System one, played a bit of the TurboGrafx version, and I played a bit of the Famicom version. And Famicom version is the worst, but the Master System version is the most worthless. <laughs> which is a fascinating space to be in. It also cursed uh, us with that apostrophe for years. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that people seemingly don't notice that East on its title screen actually has a little pronunciation ligature mark <laughs> to explain how it's supposed to be pronounced. In which language? In English. There is there is an English like pronunciation oh, really? marker okay. on the title screen of most of the versions I've seen. But, I mean, yeah. it's easy enough for Japanese because it's yeah. Because in Japanese, it's just East in katakana. Yeah, I've never had any questions on how to pronounce that thing. <laughs> but yeah, so I played a bit of that. Um, the Master System sound chip is a travesty, mm. forgotten man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the version made by who made, who made the Famicom version? It was like Victor or Marvelous. It might be the same company now. Um, but uh, that version is kind of incredible because so you know how a lot of uh, NES era games don't have diagonal movement. Like that's normal. You expect that to some extent. Zelda one doesn't have. Oh shit! Fireminers in chat, by the way. Oh hi, Fireminer. Hey. A rare and welcome thing. Uh, yes, yeah, so if I'll we're all stoked for East Ten. I mean, obviously. Yes, clearly. <laughs> But first, I have to finish East 9. Uh, but what I was going to say was uh, so the NES version of uh, or Famicom, I, I was playing a fan translation, but yeah, Famicom version of East 1 is incredible because it doesn't have diagonal movement more so than any game I've ever seen. Which is to say that if you are pressing two directional buttons at once, you just stop in your place. Ooh. You just don't move at all. How dare you attempt any sort of diagonal movement, you monster. <laughs> Absolutely disgusted. Well, we can't and won't be bothered. But yeah, so that's uh, horrible. But the music isn't as bad as the Master System version, which is something. There's, there's no reason to ever play uh, the Master System version ever again. Uh, there's very little reason to play the Famicom version other than to be... Uh, weirded out because it's the only one with different town and dungeon maps. Like, seemingly kind of the same overworld, but a different town and dungeon layout for everything. Which, they're not good maps, but they're different. Which is more than one could say for the Master System version, which seems to be a pretty direct uh, part of the same maps that essentially every other version is using uh, up until, like, Eternal. Um, 
but yeah. Uh, the moral of the story is that the only version uh, of the of East One that I played this past week that any human being should ever even consider playing again is East Book One and Two for the uh, PC Engine. But I think yes. people kind of already knew that. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's a that's a good version. I mean, that's still a good version. It's got great music. It's got. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's the other thing it has that the other two versions don't have. It has a fast mode. You want the fast mode. Mm. Do you know how many mm. enemies you have to kill in the Famicom version to get your first level? A what? 50. Oh my god. It you have to kill 50 enemies, and I could, I could not keep track of how many hits it took to kill with the base sword. Like, in excess of 10. Jeez. Oh yeah, yeah. I have no idea what the fuck happened when they were quote unquote balancing that video game. <laughs> Just so in, in, this, in this case, East is a, a contracted form of yikes, huh? Yeah, a little bit. So yeah, especially especially don't play uh, either the Famicom or Master System versions. They exist to make you sad. Um, but yeah, uh, so I played some of that. I played. Uh, I started Mega Man Star Force 2. Nice. Which, uh, let's see, uh, Zerker X Ninja version. Which is one of the, I think there are only two versions of that one. I think they learned after Star Force 1 did so what they wanted it to, that they should maybe cut back on the number of versions. So there's Zerker X Saurian and Zerker X Ninja. And, uh, those have less difference than almost any game in the series prior uh, in the Mega Man series that had multiple versions prior to this. So really, it doesn't matter what version you play; they're they're all kind of the same thing. Uh, you will always be uh, privy to Zerkers. It's just a question of whether you want ninjas or dinosaurs as your secondary tribe. Um, and your tribe is basically just here's the alternate form that Mega Man has. But yeah. It's uh, it's not horrible, but how to quickly phrase this? Uh, Star Force One is not an amazingly written game, but it is a game with like a clear intention behind how it is written and what it's trying to do. And Star Force Two feels like a game built in a combination of autopilot and reaction. Hmm. Um, just to say, uh. Star Force One, uh, the protagonist thereof. Uh, oh, uh, I remember saying there's an interview with President Falcon, one book, the Ultimate Guide to Fantasy Gaming, fourth edition, that goes into uh, different ports for each one and two. Probably check that out. Uh, check out the DX hack for the original Star Force. Fixes a lot of things. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I found out about but I wanted to play the game as released. Uh, so that was it was a deliberate choice to play the original Star Force as it was uh, in an unaltered state. Um, but I, if I do replay it, and that's not impossible, definitely playing the DX hack. But yeah, uh, for Star Force 2, uh, so the protagonist of Star Force 1 and all the Star Force games, Geo Stellaris, is in Star Force 1, he's a pretty uh, depressive kid because he's sad about his dad being gone, and he thinks that, uh, as, as children are born, that uh, 
getting close to people uh, is putting him at too much risk of, um, you know, being sad when they disappear too. So, you know, pretty normal character arc, that sort of thing. And you can tell he's supposed to be sort of a sad kid because he's got a... Uh, he's got a... Sorry, brain is dying. Uh, I'm vaguely staring at what Wheels is doing and being confused by it, but... Uh, you know, he, you can tell he's a, a sad sort of kid because his portrait is never smiling. It's uh, it's a very like sort of neutral expression, and it's clear that at some point, uh, like e- even in the ending, like he has like a very slight smile. Like I, I won't say that he's, I guess, never smiling is a little uh, overstating it, but like you know, he's he is not a expressively happy child. Uh, and then seemingly somewhere it was determined that like the audience was assumed to not like this or they got bad feedback about it. But basically the first sequence of Star Force 2 is actually very odd looking because he is smiling the entire time. And they seem to basically just try to make him as a character a bit more like the protagonist of the Battle Network games. And in general... Uh, you know the the writing again for the first game not super complex but you know it has it has something going on and you know not far in Star Force two but it does sort of feel like the game that you make if you're like yeah or, uh, I either uh, I had that game described to me and heard the and remember most of the plot and characters uh, would be how I would describe uh, <laughs> the writing in this thus far so. It's a, it's, it's fun. Like there's, there's some good gameplay improvements, but it is a very like jarring sort of like you guys, this is game two and there was a lot to fix about game one. You are already in autopilot. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I've been playing. What about you guys? You mentioned Vita games. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as of this week, I'm no longer playing Atelier Maruru. Um, well, it was, I was like onto year four of a three-year game for the second time around when hmm. I came up across one of the most fearsome enemies in the in the Arlen series, which is the infinite loading glitch. Yeah, I was going to say, some sort of hard crash. Yep. And um, I kind of have what's... How did I describe it in the little write-up for the next JRPG July thing? I have a laissez-faire attitude towards saving my game in Atelier. Oh, no. no. I am very surprised that I only lost 50% of all progress in that playthrough. Mm. Going back to August yeah, of I can year see three, it was originally in August of year four. Um, yeah, I can see why you stopped. Yeah, I, I, I loaded it back up to just to check. I was like, okay, am I, does it want me to literally start from the beginning? Oh, no, it actually has a save file. How did that happen? Or when did that happen? Okay. Anyway, I'm taking this as a sign. I'm going to go to something else that is also oddly obtuse, weirdly detailed on the subsystems, and uses a calendar. Hmm. Um, in Japanese, Ore no Shikabane o Koete Yuke 2. Um, oh, Oreshka. Oreshka. Oh, body. <laughs> yeah, or, I mean, yeah, that that's... Oddly enough, the way it's actually used in some of the epitaphs, it's stand, it's, it would probably translate better as... Um, like overcome my corpse or something like that, or do better mm. than me, mm. uh, because it's actually it, 
I've actually seen it used as an admonition to future generations to do better than this person who has just died. Hmm. Which yeah. fits the game theming. Yes. Speaking of which, my entire first generation is dead. Slightly prematurely. Yeah. Slightly more prematurely than okay, the Okay, yeah, I was about to ask. ask. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, it is... Um, it is a strange game. As you would expect. It is a really strange game. I am somewhat regretting not playing this in my native language. <laughs> and quite it impressed that I understand anything on the screen at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm like, yay, yay, passive learning of really obscure kanji. All um, the fun kanji about death. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, okay. I will just, I will just... I'll just muck around and find out. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Also, uh, Fireminer saying that I uh, need to uh, look forward to finding out how unbalanced Star Force Two is. So that's kind of that's going to be a journey Yay. of discovery. You're all going to get to hear about. I think. Yay. <laughs> and I think your sister's trolling you, Wales. Oh God! Hey. Hello. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure she's here to see if I fall asleep. The answer is almost surely yes, yeah, if no. given a long enough time frame. The answer is no. I've been binging on Stranger Things, and I'm on the last episode of the current season, so I am reserving energy to probably finish watching that after we're done recording. Isn't that like two hours long? Don't know. Don't care. Should I start sending you some bottles of this Guarana soda that's in the store right now? Because that stuff will keep you wired for hours. Yes. Oh, yes. 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 Okay, I'm, I'm Googling this. I'm figuring out how, how long that last episode is just to see if it describes yeah, at least 15 minutes into it already. Anyway. That does, that's not a significant percentage, Wheels. It's, it's fair. It's fair. Not even... Not, not a Fine, I'll wait till tomorrow. Damn it. That's wiser. Um, uh, I haven't watched I any of the show two weeks ago. So apparently the longest episode is 139. So. It's a good show, although it doesn't, it needs more Cindy Lauper. Oh, wait, that's... No, excuse me, that's a lie. Apparently, the last two episodes... Episode 8 runs 1 hour and 25 minutes. Episode 9 comes in apparently 2 and a half hours. Oh, fuck. Well, yeah, I'm not watching that tonight. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize the last episode of the season is a movie. That's, like, that would be long by movie standards. Yeah. That's longer than the new Thor. That's true. Which is awesome. Stranger Things, Love and Blunder. Which I, I still need to see because the day of the week I had decided I was going to go see it turned out to be the day that um, Rainy Season Part 3 really arrived in yes. earnest. Yeah, as in, like, it looked like a typhoon outside for a while. Yeah. I'll watch it when I hit streaming. It's really good. Yeah. I was laughing. So I, I need to check, I'm laughing my need ass to check the movie schedules for tomorrow because the schedules reset every Friday. I'll try to oh. keep double careful. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
What yeah, have we you went, been we went on a random Monday and there were like two other people in the theater. It was great. Hmm. But what have you been playing? Uh, so I've been playing, trying to play lots of that hack because I intended to finish that before Xenoblade Chronicles 3 came out. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. But I want to at least be well on my way into 3 when that comes out. So hmm. finishing up to at this part where a guild goes crazy, which I think oh, yeah, feels like one. it's near the end or at least is very far into the game. Yeah, I would say that's probably at least four fifths of the way through. Yeah, so uh, I'm probably finishing that up in the next few days and then diving into three. Then of What about okay. Live Alive? Uh, I have the demo downloaded and have not started that up at all, even though I will be picking that up on Friday and messing around with it a bit. But I don't really um, intend to play it that much. I will not be picking oh, wow. it up on Friday, but only because there's at least one person in my life who has threatened to get it for me as a birthday present. Uh. So I really ought to give them the sporting chance of trying. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to give it a while just to make sure I've gotten other things out of my backlog first. Fair enough. So, yeah, well, and just, uh... even if I don't actually intend on beating Oreshka, most likely because I'm this has all the all the marks of something I'm going to give up on halfway through. Um, you have a fun gonna, time before you do. <laughs> I still have plenty of other things I should probably try first. Yes, you should finish some games before October as well. You should finish some games before September. For... I mean... Yeah, I, I assume Wheels is trying to uh, soft influence you to play Persona 5 Royal. Oh, there's going to be no soft. He, he, a copy is going to arrive <laughs> in this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's at the point where, again, where uh, if you're just counting physical copies, I have more gifted physical Switch games than um, actual store-bought ones, which is kind of funny. Um, thank you, thank you for contributing. You're not the only one, but thank you. No problem. Um, yeah. Wheels has uh, Wheels has influenced me into being the worst version of myself this past week. Yeah. So, listen, listen. <laughs> no, I wouldn't always do that, but I knew that if you missed that bayonetta, you would really regret it. So that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I pre-ordered the bayonetta Trinity Master Aid. Yeah. Um, special edition, which means that I'm going to have to, like, clear out shelf space to display the panoramic boxes. Yeah. Because I'm a nerd. But I also have to get new Joy-Cons, because my I tried to play some Bayonetta and found that, oh, fuck, uh, my right joy, Joy-Con joystick is actually experiencing grit somehow. I've never heard that happen. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, it's, it's not consistent, so it's probably not actually like classical Joy-Con drift, but there's something fucky about the analog stick, so at about once a minute it's, it starts going ballistic and uh, just hangs on a direction, whether it's been touched or not. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, that's a problem. Well, so, I know. mean, that's kind of the nice thing about the design of the non-light switch is... Like, pop if them out. I never think yeah, about it then. If something goes wrong with Joy-Con, <laughs> pop it out and put no one in. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. dreading if anything ever goes wrong with the joysticks in my Switch Lite. That thing is openable by all accounts. Uh, it's probably just a matter of like hot swapping out probably. sticks from a Joy-Con, which is going to be a pain in the ass, but it's not impossible. But yeah, so um, Bayonetta, yeah. you missed her. 
I've been playing yeah. Bayonetta 2 to try and finish it because um, I don't know if we talked about we talked about that last week. Yeah, how I we did. S- stubbornly yeah. got stuck in Bayonetta 2 because I wanted to get better than a stone trophy on every single level and kept failing on one level and that was that. So I have to play it fresh. Just fine because uh, when I fired it up, I realized, oh, I've never actually played the Switch Bayonetta <laughs> 2. Even though that I bought it fantastic. Uh, yeah, I bought that at launch. I mean, at just launch, played the, a... the Bayo 1 port. I mean, even at launch, that was a fantastic deal because it's like you're getting Bayonetta 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. The best versions of both for like $60 total. It's kind of funny <laughs> they did that too because they had just done that on the Wii Yep. So I now have three. I have Bayonetta one on three different platforms now because I have that uh, the Bayonetta and um, what's the other game? Vanquish. Vanquish. Yeah. Vanquish on Xbox. Yeah, I have the original 360 release of Bayonetta one. Nice. I was uh, I was right in on that the second that it came out, and no regrets ever since. Uh, yeah. God. That- Twelve years ago, fuck. <laughs> was that? Was it twenty eleven? Then was a another one. Okay, that number is extremely wrong. Google, like, I'm not even gonna say you tried. Excuse me, that was not uh, twelve years ago. That was thirteen years ago. Oops. <laughs> <sighs> Fly me to the moon. Fly me to the moon. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fully on the Bayonetta 3 hype train. Uh, still still pulling for finding out the moon-themed song for the third game is going to be only a paper moon. But then they could say, they, no, they should do paper Bayonetta. Do paper Bayonetta. I'd play that. No one else would, but I would. The only person at the center of that Venn diagram. <laughs> uh, God, speaking of, <laughs> I saw something on Twitter that was like, "Oh, I'm I'm at the center of this Venn diagram, and I'm not sure if I should feel insulted yet, uh, insulted or not, because it was someone tweeting like, uh, Outlaw Star would have made the most perfect seven out of ten PS2 game." <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, no, it would have been perfect. Yeah. I mean, not mean not perfect as a game, but yes, perfect as a 7 out of 10. Yeah, like it would be a perfect 7 out of 10 kind of game. You'd, run, you'd play that on a rental and be like, man, that was fun. I'm glad I didn't buy yeah. it, but it was fun. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you've been playing some Bayo 2, some Dot GU. Anything else? Uh, that was I've playing. Uh, I've actually been playing some Nino Cooney because hmm. the kids have been watching some. Um, uh, my neighbor Totoro and my daughter was watching uh, Kiki's Delivery Service a bunch of times as well. So I was just in a just in a mood for that sort of animation. Remembering the time when I uh, first saw Princess Mononoke, it was like nine. That was maybe a little intense at the end there. (laughs) Just a bit. Just a little. Yeah, the girls haven't seen Mononoke Hime yet, but we've seen Totoro plenty of times. And Kiki. 
Yeah. And Spirited Away, actually, so they might not be too bad with one lucky Spirited Away is intense. It lacks the the sheer like weird weird violence of Monona. The the visceral <laughs> weirdness. Yeah. Of, yeah. Okay. But Spirited Away is definitely like on the path to being ready to watch that. <laughs> I love that movie. It's a very uh, interestingly episodic flick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was say. Uh, I've got to prepare wheels for, I don't know, Porco Rosso. Hmm. Uh, was anyone here traumatized by Mononoke? My younger cousin did when she was... Yeah, I would not show that movie to a six-year-old. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think th- that was the first anime I saw in a theater. Like, um, my dad had been living in, in Atlanta for a while, and he'd gone to some art theater to see it with my brother, but it got a wider release, so he took me to see it, and was not expecting it to be what it was. <laughs> was not expecting to come out with feelings. I mean, coming out with feelings was the part that you learned to expect. It was the, oh my god, did that thing's head just get cut off? But yeah. really through me. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch uh, Princess Mononoke in the theater just because it wasn't available yeah, uh, no theater in the area at the time. Um, but um, I think maybe I mentioned this before, but I did have a chance to watch a completely different Ghibli movie in the theater when I was working in France for a year. Oh, do tell. Yeah, I was just I was yeah I was doing some Christmas shopping and I noticed this little arts theater on the side in near of the main uh, plaza in Reims, um had some imported movies um, showing. I'm like, okay, Dark Water, no, okay, okay, <laughs> Chateau dans le ciel, oh, hmm. ah, Castle in the Sky, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I I've actually seen that in the movie theater. Nice. It's not something a lot of pe- not of not something a lot of foreigners my age in Japan can actually say. Oh. Hmm. I mean, yes, it was in French, but still, yeah, movie theater. That seems worth seeing as well. It was probably a fun dub. <laughs> oh yeah, it was a very good dub. So, oh, I know I was going to say the the cat is Phil Hartman in Kiki's uh, Delivery Service. Yeah, that was yeah, Gigi. That was a good casting there. Yeah. Hmm. Strange, but worked out perfectly. I mean, they just needed the right attitude, and Hartman could do attitude. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I do now. I am now imagining someone just overdubbing like Lionel Hutz over Gigi. Though so that would be fun. <laughs> That'd be a good gag. Um, well, speaking of animated cats, have you seen um, any of the? promotional stuff for the amazing maurice i have not it's based on one of terry pratchett's side novels from Discworld, mm-hmm. and it is adorable excellent and it has a it has a talking cat voiced by hugh laurie that's fun yeah also when you said speaking of animated cats i was, I was immediately thinking like you're gonna tar- start talking about the cat returns <laughs> no that was a good movie too Oh yeah, so. but it's just one of those things. I, I also saw that one in the movie not. theater. Haha. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I tried to watch a little bit of that, but kids were scared of something in that. I don't remember what it was. Mm. But when are you watching Porcarosso? Which one is that? It's the, the one, one with, with the Italian pilot who turns himself into a pig so he can avoid getting 
um, drafted by the um, by Mussolini's fascists in World War II, and he ends up becoming a like a vigilante fighter pilot, taking down um, Italian planes and something like that. That sounds hell of amazing. How the hell have I never watched this? <laughs> it's not one of the ones that got as much uh, exposure in the U.S. I don't think it got like a proper theater release yeah. here, other than like limited. Oh movies. no, it, it came out long before they were doing th- uh, regular theater releases for Ghibli. It came around hmm. after the debacle where somebody attempted to bring uh, Nausicaa over and butchered it. How's that? Oh yeah, I remember that. Warriors of the Wind. Yeah, Warriors um, of the Wind. Massive. No cuts. Yeah. Yep. So and so that was a good fifteen years or so before they allowed any of their movies to get released in America. Hmm. Yes, with the infamous delivering a an actual katana to the president of Disney with a notice note saying no cuts for <laughs> Princess Mononoke. Which is uh, quite a, quite a ostentatious way of getting that message across, but good work on your part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, okay, I think that hits what we've all been playing, unless you played something other than Oreshka and, uh, um, no. better do. Okay. Nah. So I'm, though the plan next is to pick up one of my gifted games and, you know, just play Pokemon Sword while I've got it. Oh, that's fine. Since the, uh, since Scarlet and Violet are coming out next yeah. fall anyway. Yeah, Pokemon so probably try to figure out what some of the new Pokemon are first. Listen, all you need is Score Bunny and everyone else is secondary. No. I know, I like the monkey. What? Band. (laughs) No, it's fine. They're all they're all good starters. Yeah. I know I don't even care about bounce or anything. I just like, okay, he turns into a drummer. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I'm gonna briefly bring up uh... Score Bunny Squad. Yeah, up, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna briefly bring back up something that was a whipping boy last week because I need to make fun of it again. Oh, um, what was it? Uh, the Sega Genesis Mini Two. Which, oh yeah, uh, I brought it up, and then you bashed it. Yeah, I think awesome. I also bashed it last week anyway. But uh, the the thing I was gonna say was so they announced another batch of games in Japan that sounded cool. They have not announced a corresponding set of games in the West, and I don't think that things that sounded cool on the Japanese one are going to be on the English one because they don't involve working designs. Because in Japan, they're getting Ugh. Lunar 1 and 2. Oh, God. Actually, you know what? They don't like those versions, so never mind. I don't care. The Sega CD version of Lunar Eternal Blue is good. The Sega CD version of Lunar the Silver Star is... Trash garbage. Yeah, absolute trash. Uh, keep away from anything made by Miyazaki's son. Uh, tragically, uh, Horikoto Miyazaki was uh, not not someone who had initially intended to go into animation by trade, and also probably didn't have his life made, made any easier by his relationship with his dad. Um, but I was going to say something about it. But yeah, uh, so yeah, there, there's another wave of announced uh, Mega Drive Mini 2 games. Not uh, not Genesis Mini 2 games. Let me, let me see what, what all was on this, because I'm, I'm keeping track of this. I want I want this to become a more worthwhile looking object. I dream of it not seeming like a waste of everyone's time and money. 
Um, so yeah, the, the the big ones are Silver Star and Eternal Blue. Um, mm. Silver Star is fascinating if you've only ever played any of the remakes because uh, the last third of the remakes is just a complete rewrite of anything that happened at the end of Silver Star. Like anything from the point where you essentially reach the Black Dragon's village onward it has been so heavily rewritten by the remakes that it's like barely the same game. Um, for, for anyone uh, familiar with the remakes, uh, you find out, like, you know, it's a lot of stuff happens uh, that uh, advances plot forward. Uh, Tagnus becomes, like, the officially recognized, like, Dragon Master, Guardian of the Goddess, whatever. Uh, go off to the land of monsters, essentially. There's, there's, like, a whole bunch of shit that happens there. And all of that kind of happens in Silver Star on the second CD, but often in different contexts or in a different order or you do different things while you're there uh so it's it's a very very different game and watching like video of that it's honestly fascinating and probably worth doing at least once just because that version is like no other version reuses any meaningful amount of the of that content like they're all remixes of the remake that are much closer to the remake than the remake is to the original <laughs> Uh, but you know, like I, I can't recommend playing it. Uh, it has some of the worst dungeons I've ever played in a game, experienced in a video game. <laughs> uh, to to put it lightly, like essentially every dungeon is the same tile set with a different uh, with a different palette applied to it, and that tile set has almost no landmarks in it. So it's just miserable. Because you're just walking around in this. Oh yeah, it also has random battles, unlike the remake. So uh, you're getting into constant fights, uh, mm. whether you click them or not. It's it's a slog. No, no reason to put yourself through that. Yeah, I tried to play it back in the day for some reason. I don't remember what that reason was, but I, it was <laughs> not a fun experience. I, however, am a complete loon and played through Lunar 1 on Sega CD and Lunar 1 on PS1 in tandem, going through what? one dungeon in one and then going through it in the other over and over oh until I finished both versions. Uh, because I'm broken in the head and there's no justifying me and I need to be destroyed. Put down <laughs> like the animal I am. Uh, it was oh fascinating. Boy. That, uh, like, because initially I was like, I had like a text document open, it was just like, uh, you know, oh, this is different than the remake, and like, they cut this, or they moved this, or they added this, like, all that. And then by the end, I basically just stopped taking notes because it was like, there's no meaningful comparison. Like, these aren't happening, nothing's happening the same, it's not happening in the same order. But it does, uh, however, have this absolutely ridiculous sequence, uh, like some, sometimes the remake actually cuts some bosses because like there are some bosses that just happen in completely arbitrary uh, circumstances. 
and nothing has ever destroyed my brain. Like so, there's a there's a fight underneath Vane at one point in the Sega CD version that has no uh, counterpart in the remake, and that's fine because it's not an interesting fight and it comes out of nowhere and has nothing to do with anything. And you can tell that it has nothing to do with anything, even by working designs. The fact that this uh, that the intro to this boss was just translated as "Here comes Incan God." Uh, okay. What? <laughs> Here comes thinking God with us. Oh, it's okay. just like, what the fuck happens? Why is it like this? You kill it, it has nothing to do with anything. It's really never brought up again. And it's in the middle of like an, an important story sequence. I don't know what it's doing there. If you had told me working design to put that boss in the game by itself, I would have said, yes, that makes sense. Good old working designs. Yeah. That, that phrase is doing a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, the other the other things that were announced for it are typically less exciting. Uh, Final Fight CD is a better port than the Super Nintendo Final Fight, but uh, this is not 1994 anymore, and there are like a million ways to play the actual Final Fight. Hmm. <laughs> Without the heinous color limit palette limitations, the most interesting thing about Final Fight CD would be the like CD music, which is mildly of interest. But, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like I, I can't imagine it's of interest to uh, you can get the arcade version of Final Fight on Switch for ninety nine cents. Yeah, like there, there's there's very little reason other than like raw historical curiosity to play the Sega CD part of Final Fight. Like you can look at it and be like, oh good good job on like getting all the enemies in and all that. Uh the color palette still sucks because you're still limited by the Mega Drive video output and the way that it works. But I mean, yeah. And then like and that's like a lot of the shit that they announced here, because like you've also got Super Street Fighter 2 for Genesis and it's like, okay. That's uh, <laughs> Like historically, that's an interesting title because it is the it is the largest in terms of raw raw ROM size of any uh, Genesis game. It's like forty megabytes uh, or megabits, probably. If I've been thinking about it, forty megabytes in ROM cartridges for the Genesis would be insane. But uh, yeah, like it's it's um, it's it's enormous little. Uh, cartridge. I think it's actually the only, by everything I've heard, it's the only uh, Genesis game that u- utilizes bank switching, which is mm. essentially just a technique to load different parts of the ROM into the memory map uh, based on what you actually need access to. And uh, it, like whether that needs to be done uh, revolves around what the memory map looks like and I think the Genesis is probably something like 32 megabytes, but uh, megabits if I were to handle it, hand, hazard a guess. I haven't looked into it, but that would be my guess. And that basically means that like you would need an enormous Genesis cartridge in order for bank switching to make any sense. And that was an enormous Genesis cartridge. But uh, not hardly the only like thing where it's like, oh, I, yeah, like, like in that case, it's like it's an impressive port hardly anyone's favorite version of Street Fighter 2, and it's hardly anyone's favorite version of Super Street Fighter 2, but, I mean, there you go. But also, Fatal Fury 2? Right. Which I, 
why? Like I have seen the Genesis part, and it's like it's not a bad part. It's not a particularly interesting part either. Like it's just, I I mean, sure. Like the only it feels like something that's like this was easy to get hold of. But like, why Fatal Fury two? Like, I'm pretty sure this Genesis part of Fatal Fury special. Why wouldn't you use that? That's just the upgraded version of Fatal Fury 2. So what is this Sanren Sanchan? I believe it's based off of some sort of arcade game. <laughs> uh, yeah. What was the title? Uh, Sanren Sanchan. Mr. Tricycle or Spatter. I guess. Oh, no, I'm just reading spatter. the I'm reading the Polygon article about it. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, no, never, never heard of that one. And then Aha Harimanada. Yeah, it's <laughs> a that's sumo game. Gonna... Yeah, we're not getting that one on the Genesis. No, okay. Uh, but yeah, oh, like... Truxton. Truxton, oh. the 12 plan game. Yeah, Harimanada was a sumo wrestling manga. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. which apparently that was actually kind of a popular thing back in the late '80s, early '90s, because I have a completely different sumo wrestling manga from that same time period. Yeah, it seemed like there was a bit of a sumo revival at that point. Yeah, with a very similar yeah. title. Actually, it was kind of weird. Hmm. But, like, um... looking looking it up, uh, yeah, Truxton is probably the most interesting thing on here by virtue of being very specifically Mega Drive and having. Being the kind of game that people actually have a great, a great deal of fondness for, not not necessarily Truxton in specific, although like there is fandom from that game, but in general the uh, scrolling shooters of the company Total Plan, which so uh, then Mega Drive Mini Two also gets Gambler Jiko Chushinha Katayama Masayuki's Majong Dojo. Cool. So historically, there's a shit ton. Of Mahjong games, uh, just like clogging Japanese shelves, essentially, probably to this day, but especially all throughout the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, like to the point where one company put out two different Mahjong games for the PS1, essentially, inside of a month. <laughs> huh? uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, there was a company called Shot Noir, which was a uh, company that licensed out essentially a Mahjong AI that other companies used. And so there are two different Mahjong games that came out on the original PlayStation in 1985 that both use Shot Noir's uh, Mahjong AI. Hmm. Uh, Mahjong Station Tenjiku, I believe. And, um, Mahjong Station Mahjong, uh, Mahjong my, excuse me, I conflated the two. Mahjong Goku Tenjiku and Mahjong Station Mazen. Uh, both by Shatno are both very from PS1 games and both uh, released like a month apart. Uh, somehow, uh, looking at the chat, somehow I have a Super Gun and a Final Fight board, but they don't play, uh, play right, unlike the Super Gun with Neo Geo boards. Yeah, I've never dug into working with super guns. They seem like paint the ass. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, most 
consider the Neo Geo uh, Genesis ports of Neo Geo games are the best for that time, better than the Super Nintendo ones. Depends on the game, but like realistically, the issue is uh, every Fatal Fury game for Neo Geo has been flawlessly, flawlessly ported to like every modern platform. There is yeah. historically very little like. The, the most interesting Neo Geo shit is the stuff people would least want, because it would be stuff like the version of the console part of Art of Fighting that made up its own ending, completely unrelated to the uh, arcade version of Art of Fighting and unrelated to the uh, actual conclusion of the cliffhanger ending that they were making up a conclusion to that appeared in Art of Fighting 2. But no one cares about Art of Fighting because Art of Fighting sucks shit. So it doesn't matter. It's terrible. This is not a fun game. Well, I got the Neo Geo Arcade Stick Pro, mm-hmm. and that so that's a hundred dollars, and that but that is um, a joystick with like a mini console built in, so you can use it as a controller or you can use it as a console with the built-in forty games. And then I was able to buy just a regular Neo Geo gamepad that you plug into it. So it's like, but you know that had. Um, King of Fighters, ninety. Every Fatal Fury. Yes. So there were some, a lot of games on there I had never played, never even seen before. But there was some cool stuff. Like I think there was, I think the last Fatal Fury game, this special about something. Oh, real about Fatal Fury special. Yeah, I think that one was good. And then no, in Garo was was cool. And and but like I'm like. So like you said, all those games have been ported to all modern consoles, but Neo Geo also made their own mini consoles that you can play those games on. So it's like... It's, it's very weird you know. to see the Genesis <laughs> port of Fatal Fury 2 be re-released for any particular reason. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so um, the Genesis Mini 2, to me, the selling point is, can I hack it and does it already have a Sega CD emulator built in? Basically, you know? Hmm. So, because I I already have the regular mini console that I hacked, and I can put whatever the hell I want on there, and then I bought the six button controller anyways. So, if the mini two can at least run Sega CD games without too much finagling at full speed, then that might be worth it. And then you don't have to get all the BIOS files and shit. (laughs) Yeah. Um. But what's a much called? Um. Soul Feast is still. A good game is that on there, or my? I? I don't think that's thing? been announced yet. Oh, okay. I would be surprised if it doesn't show up just later. Or Soul Dees. There was Soul Dees and then Soul Feast. It's like what's yeah, the difference? I believe Soul Dees was like the cartridge version. If I were okay. to yes. Um. <laughs> so, uh, Fireminer also saying, can we talk about ADK and how important they were to the Neo Geo? And I could talk at length, but I think it would actually put Wheels to sleep. Uh, for the for the short version of that, ADK, uh, also known as pre- uh, prior previously known as Alpha Denshi, was a company that kind of became the the biggest partner for the Neo Geo and produced a lot of the like cool like not lesser but lesser thought of. Uh, Neo Geo games that are still good, stuff like Magician Blood and shit. Uh, ADK's uh, true greatest <laughs> achievement that was having made. Uh, well, they were called ADK Corporation, and so their 
Uh, they released a game called Aggressors of Dark Combat, where combat was spelled with a K. Which is I think extremely I played that. Aggressive, Aggressive Dark Combat is a weird game. A weird game, but it's, it's kind of neat. Um, I think Kizuna Encounter? Or is that another company? There's a, like a lot of these. Uh, but I'm not sure. There's like Savage Rain and Kizuna Encounter, but those might be another uh, SNK's like, partner companies. Mm-hmm. Oh no, apparently Kizuna Encounter was SNK itself. For some reason, I always thought it was a partner company game. But yeah, uh, they, they were important for filling out the release list on uh, the Neo Geo because God knows SNK tried, but it couldn't do everything by itself. <laughs> oh yeah, that's Blue's Journey. That's like the only side-scrolling platformer of any note on the Neo Geo. Oh, I love that game. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I apologize if there's any weird vibrating sounds in the background because apparently the apartment next door is getting renovated. Oh boy! Oh. I don't think I've heard it, but I okay, because I'm hearing it right now, and I'm just like, okay, I hope that is not getting picked up by a microphone <laughs> or anything. Oh no, I thought it was an electric toothbrush. <laughs> no, it's an, it, it's almost it's a very similar device <laughs> that's used for something completely different, but yes. Yeah. Okay, we're we're getting we're getting questions coming in all through the chat. Yeah. Did the Sega Sega Astro Mini ever come to America? Yes, yes, it did. Um, it's important because it's the only way you can officially play in a home port of Arabian Fight. <laughs> Listen, that's important Arabian to Arabian Fight. No. Oh, sorry. But, Fatal yeah, that, Fury that game is Three. Road to the um, Final Victory. Yeah, that one was pretty good right i enjoy it it was evidently to some degree of failure because uh oh wait like, i'm sorry I, I think i'm thinking of real bout fatal fury special yeah that's a, that's a really good one uh fatal fury 3 uh i like it but it was seemingly to some degree like it was not well received in japan because uh the first real bout real bout fatal fury uh came out like six months later and reused all of its sprites, but heavily rebalanced it and redid a bunch of shit. So it's one of those things okay. where it's like it's it seems like Fatal Fury 3 was met with some degree of immediate criticism that they felt they needed to address within uh, an instant. Also, the funniest version of Real Bell Fatal Fury is uh, Real Bell Fatal Fury Special Dominated Mind. Okay. Which was the PS1 port. Okay. Uh, that added a truly arbitrary new boss character who is a knockoff of the protagonist of the Clockwork Orange. Oh. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know what happened. Some droogs got into the development staff. <laughs> truly. Willy, 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 will. A bit of the old ultraviolence. <laughs> Um, yeah, just, I think uh, did you mention um, Savage Rain I thought that was pretty good I think Savage Rain uh, I think I brought it up as, because I believe it is technically related to Kizuna Yeah. Uh, yeah no that's that's a neat game yeah there's the uh, the cheerleader girl with the ball and then there's the oh yeah there's the police officer with the very hairy chest who kind of looks like someone from Final Fight. 
And <laughs> 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 I and I think of my favorite uh, Neo Geo fighters that weren't like the core SNK games. I actually end up thinking of Waku Waku Seven. Oh yeah, I like that. If, one. if you've never played that, uh, you should give that a shot. It's a very uh, it just be you in general, and then you play to Joey. But uh, yeah, just just generally a a really neat and uh, very good looking little fighting game made by I want to say like uh, SunSoft, yeah, SunSoft, like the last good thing they ever made. Before. Okay, and then um, you, you mentioned already, but the other one. Um... Yeah, Kaizuna Encounter Super Tag Battle. Yeah, that one was tag team. Yeah, Kaizuna Encounter is... I like playing as Rosa. She was the new character in that one. Yeah, it's it's the Savage Rain sequel. Right. Uh, But yeah. Also, uh, which wolf team game would you like to see on Genesis Mini? No justice until we get uh, the full El Viento set. Ernest Evans, El Viento, and Annette Futatavi. I'm sure that someone agrees with me somewhere. Sure. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, don't, you, don't you love a wolf team games, Wales? Wolf team games? Hold on. No. I'm looking up to see what no, they I don't, made. Actually. What do you hate about wolf team games, Wales? Uh, Tales of Fantasia is garbage. Yeah, but that's not going to be on a Sega Mini. It's true. What did they make before that? Um, uh, Finals. They oh, so oh so they made Soul Feast. I just mentioned that. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty neat game. <laughs> what that um, is. It's a side-scrolling shooter. And then, oh, they made Final Zone, which I, I never liked that much. They made Road Blaster. That's the most important FMV game ever made. No, or at least they there's did the no important FMV games. Right. Re- Revenge of the Ninja, that sounds familiar. I think you're thinking of Revenge of Shinobi. <laughs> okay. No, there's, no there was a Sega CD game called Revenge of the Ninja, but yeah, you're right. That's Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I'm looking at it now and I'm like, oh, this is just FMV. This, oh, I never played. No, no. Okay. I was thinking... Ninja. Okay. So I was thinking. I was thinking Revenge of Shinobi. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess I wouldn't mind seeing Ballast for historical purposes. But, uh, uh, yeah. Dino I mean, like, Land. What is the that? thing about Wolf Team is that they made an absolute shotgun volley of games, like just an ungodly number to keep track of, and <laughs> like. So, most of them are at least weird, so I'd be happy to see them on the Genesis Mini, but I couldn't, in good conscience, recommend the Genesis Mini stuff to the breaking point with fucking multi-games. Huh. Arcus Odyssey looks kind of neat. I never played uh, it, though. Some sort of RPG, isn't it? Yeah, it's an isometric RPG. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's probably pretty neat. I won't go so far as to say pretty easy. It's probably interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because Wolf Team was a company. That, uh, they became Tails Studio. They became Triace. They became a handful of other companies. And they made just a hideous number of games. Uh, Zach, The Art of Visual Stage. Oh, that's a different company. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, who did make Zach? 
Zach was... Devastator looks cool. Oh yeah, Zach was micro cabin. I don't even blame myself for conflating those two. <laughs> micro cabin. Yeah, micro cabin. They were the biggest uh, yeah. Japanese 3 D O supporter, I believe. Oh. Is, is Which that, is hardly their own. Is that a mark of shame or like a mark? <laughs> is that a good mark or a bad I, mark? I'm not clear. I double check, but I might be also conflating them with the River Hill Soft. <laughs> uh, who made Lucian's Quest? Oh, that 3DO game? Yeah. I actually got a question about that for, on Japan Demonium years ago. <laughs> okay, yeah. Lucian's Quest was micro as well. And that's like the only like, 3DO JRPG. Yeah. 3DO like interactive the game with the samurai and the werewolf. <laughs> so, that took a long time to figure out. Yeah, it, it has and a certain... Yeah, there that, and there was an actual Japanese movie called Samurai and Werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds rad, actually. Yeah, it was like uh, like early 80s Showa period kitsch. Yeah, that makes sense. The 3DO launched for $700. No wonder it failed. Yeah, the, yep. reasoning, the reasoning behind that is that uh, 3DO made a hardware design but did not have the money to manufacture hardware. So they licensed <laughs> the hardware design out to companies like Goldstar and Panasonic. Problem is, those, were not, those companies could not take in essentially any sort of licensing fees on the games made they had to make money off of the system being sold, so they had to set their prices to be insanely high in order to make any sort of meaningful profit from manufacturing the system. And so okay. that's why the damn thing launched at $700. Panasonic actually wanted to get into the game industry in a big way at that point, and actually purchased the rights to the successor piece of hardware design, known as the M2, but got cold feet when they realized how much money it was going to take to actually launch a new console uh, around the same time as the PlayStation, and just a minute, the M2 was only ever used for a handful of arcade games, primarily made by Konami. Hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> and yet 3DO is the system that got Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Huh. Yep, I believe published and possibly ported by Panasonic. Let me double check. But yeah. Uh, and I've played that version on the 3DO's default controller, and I don't have enough unkind things to say about you. <laughs> I was gonna say it's probably fighter. it's probably shit. <laughs> so so let me let me paint a, a mental picture. I think I've described this before, but it's so hellish. So the 3DO controller is an unholy amalgamation of a Genesis and Super Nintendo controller. It has a start button and three face buttons in the same place you would expect on a Genesis controller. And it has left and right shoulder buttons. You will note that if you're an absolute fool, this is six buttons. Mm -hmm. And so I believe medium kick is mapped to the start button. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's horrible. And every other... Every other punch and kick is mapped to one of the other five buttons, and they're not mapped in a way that makes intuitive sense as to what order they go in. 
So it's uh, it's a miserable thing to play it on. I believe there was a specialized uh, 3DO six button controller just for Super Turbo, but yeah, I mean, uh, if you wanted to play a home port of Super Turbo in 1994, that was literally the only option. And it's it's a good port. It's uh, like they they didn't do a home port on the Super Nintendo and Genesis because Super Street Fighter Two had sold markedly worse on both consoles than. Uh, Street Fighter 2 Turbo had, so they were basically done with that, except for the like absolutely bizarre porting of Street Fighter Alpha 2 to the Super Nintendo about a year later, I think. Oh, yeah, that weirdo port. That's a really oh. impressive port. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks like Gex was the highest selling game on the platform. Yep, he was kind of their mascot. Excuse me, it's pronounced Gex. It's about a dinosaur. It's about a dinosaur. But yeah, uh, it's not. Gek, it's Gek. not Gex like Gecko. No, that's, no, that's, that's, a, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's, uh, you okay. are pronouncing it correctly. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you, you got me. Oh. No, yeah. um, uh, to, to I played that, that on on PC because I had PC Gamer magazine, and I remember getting a demo in one of the discs that came with it. Yeah. Yeah, Gex, Gex was a weird. System. It is a weird uh, game because. It's a it's a two D platformer that was immediately succeeded by two three D platformers, and the two D platformers way way the fuck worse than three D ones. Dana uh, Gould did his voice. Yeah, he was How, the voice. Where do I know Dana Gould from? He was a stand up comedian. He did some Simpsons writing. Uh, he was he showed up in a lot of like uh, back, like guest starring uh, sorts of roles on nineties sitcoms and shit. He was on Doug. Yeah. Was he? And, yeah, he did various voices on Doug. He was on The Nanny, Roseanne, Spring yeah. of Change, which, yeah, it's like you said, all these guest appearances. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, he also had a really fun story about the time he went to, a, I think it was a GameStop, and tried to get a copy of Gex. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah that, that's what Niels was referencing. Got, yeah, the guy this, this. Ever, uh, was it corrected his pronunciation and said it was Jex and that it was about a dragon? Okay. It, it specifically, he's like, Yeah, I'd like a copy of Jex the Gecko. And the guy just like, it has a sound of practiced irritation and says, It's pronounced Jex. That's about a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, a dinosaur, not a dragon, yeah. But yeah, just incredible. Um, Gex, enter the Gecko. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's two. And then Deep Cover Gecko is three. Oh, I guess he also worked on. He was a consulting producer on Parks and Recreation. Yeah, he's done a lot of like comedy writing. He's, he's a very good like joke doctor sort of guy. Oh, okay. Hang on. It says that so on the Simpsons it says that he wrote Homer the Mo, Papa's Got a Brand New Badge, C E Dode, The President Wore Pearls, Goo Goo Guy Pan, Bart Has Two Mommies. I don't want to know why the Cage Bird sings. Yeah, okay, he, he was there for like basically like season like 11 to like 15 or so that's like a yeah. consultant sort of guy and a writer okay um, he was uh but yeah he had a very dark he, he has i should say a very dark sense of humor um uh yeah <laughs> i would think but yeah uh in, in general uh yeah he, he did all, he did all the voice work of Gex in the American versions. In the European versions, I guess 
the, the British publishers took some kind of uh, objection to it because they replaced him in both Gets 2 and 3 with different people. That's weird. Uh, let's see. In Gets 2, who was he replaced with? Uh, okay, yeah, he was replaced with Leslie Phillips, and in 3, he was replaced with uh, Danny John Jules. And they are very different interpretations of that character. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah. Um, why do I, I have a lot of... I have a lot of gex knowledge, I'm sorry. Uh, Gex's last canonical appearance was as a Secondary playable character in Xbox launch racing game Mad Dash Racing. Duh. Okay. <laughs> You've never seen that game. You're barely certain that I didn't just make it up. I, I think you made it up. <laughs> no, it's real. <laughs> uh, oh, just curious on a side note. Did did anyone else have a subscription to PC Gamer back in the 90s? And it came with the demo disc, and there was one disc that had Diablo and Heroes of Might and Magic two, and then and then that's how I played Gex and all these other PC games. Yeah, Excuse Marathon. Me. Excuse I, me, yeah. I had a Mac. Thank you. Uh, Thank uh, you. Uh, we also had a had a subscription to MacWorld or whatever. Mac Addict. <laughs> oh, Mac Addict, of which, course. Which remember they became Mac Life and got super boring. Yeah. And then there oh, was like, the Coconut was Monkey. I am the Coconut Monkey. Yes. But yeah. My, my demo, my demo disc shit was all uh, PS1 demo discs, and then later PS2 demo discs. Yeah. And that's why I have a remarkable memory and affinity for uh, remote control dandy and body no reality. And whatever the fuck that PS1 game was, that was a game about a hamster driving a forklift. A hamster right. driving a forklift. Yeah, it was a puzzle game. I'm gonna find this. I'm gonna figure this out. That's You're gonna be so that. impressed. What the hell was that game on PS1 where you like flying a ship? Descent or something? There's so yeah, there's so I, yeah I remember this game. talking about. That's a PS1 game where you're flying a ship. Maybe you mean Descent. Maybe you mean like a million other things. No, it was Descent. It's the one. Okay, so the game I was thinking of was called Sumo. Okay, now I'm getting that electric, uh, that, that electric toothbrush sound. Yeah, I'm, get, I'm just going to mute the mic for a while. Okay. I'll, I'll just Sorry. be listening. Please, please enjoy looking at the box art. For Sumo, I guess. Brave, I th uh, Brave Fencer Musashi, the most I played of it was the demo. I forget what uh, game that you demo disc came with. Uh, yeah, I remember Brave Fencer came with a demo disc of F8. Uh, and definitely other like broader demo discs had Brave Fencer Musashi demo on them. Sumo. 
the game I was talking about that was about a hamster riding a forklift. Oh, this looks really cool. It's very cute. Um, okay. a, a hamster using a forklift. I love it. Sold. <laughs> Square. Uh, so the Prefecture Musashi demo was distributed in the American market on Square's 1998 Collector CD Volume 2. Let's see what that was packaged with. Hey, do you remember the early demo of Resident Evil 2? Yes. Yes. And uh, you get into the... Yeah, you get into the star's office, and then I think originally Ada tries to shoot Leon or something. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. Oh, no, it came with the FSA demo, which was Collector's CD Volume 2. I'm trying to... Uh, I can't suss out what... Uh, the Brave Phantom Musashi demo came with. Presumably it would be something else from earlier in 98, but... Uh, um, I can see someone trying to sell me the demo disc on eBay. Awesome. Yeah, but yeah, no, I can't find what uh, disc this was on, so you're going to have to live in confusion, Wheels. <laughs> Everyone go listen to the Brave Fence and Sashi soundtrack, it's really good. Uh, uh, okay. <clears throat> Let's check the question list for something, something to fuel. A couple Answer of those questions, damn it. No, I will not. I, I, I oh, dang, I thought they had stopped the drilling. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I can't oh. hear it anymore. Yeah. Okay. Oh, now they're hammering. Okay. <laughs> oh, great. Hammer, hammer time. Hammer. It's hammer time. Can't touch this. We're old. Can't touch this. I hate you all so very much. Okay. Have you ever worn parachute pants? No, they were expensive. No, I was a nerd. Yeah, I never had those either. Oh, you know what, though? I got made fun of for not sagging my pants. But then I later found out what sagging your pants actually means, and I got the last laugh. I don't know what it means, and I'm not here to find out. Um, let's see. Does anyone want to know? No. no. Okay. I'm banning anyone from knowing. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit. Now I want to know. <laughs> you can DM. You can DM each other. I have Google, so I don't have to worry about him telling me. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. So let's hit some questions before our, me or we also both pass out. Um, there are unintentionally funny games, but are there unintentionally scary games? Uh, the answer is anything that is an early 3D game that doesn't realize how fucking uncanny it looks. Yes, there's that. Um... <laughs> Uh, that was the name of the developer quest. Um, like the illusion of Gaia people. Quintet. 
Yes, Quintet. That's it. Had a PS1 game. Oh, Grand Stream Saga. Yes, where the characters look like they have yeah. no faces. <laughs> and it's clear well, that, that they one. were just bank- they were they were banking on the idea that you just wouldn't think about it because you don't see them face on very often. But every time you do it, it's like, this is really off putting. This was a bad yeah. thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I just remember um, there was this one independent independent game developer who tried at the beginning. He was trying to do um, like Christian messaging games. Like oh that. yeah, yeah, and, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about yeah, yeah. And his uh, the last one of those he did. The main commentary was at this animated. I think it was a beaver. It looked like an animatronic yeah. in the game, and it was everyone thought it just looked horrifically terrifying in some way yeah, you're and that's what inspired him yeah. to, uh, and that's what inspired him to go on to make five nights at freddy's instead yeah, it's got yeah. Um, so, i mean the first time he did it it was not intended to be frightening then the subsequent yeah. times it's like okay i can run with this yep so he he took the uh commentary as proper or the construct took the criticism constructively and made something that actually worked with it Yeah, uh, certain kinds of low quality 3D have the extreme power to be extremely uncanny in its own way. And especially early on, you see, or early on, or among people who are not uh, professionals at their craft, you will often see something that is not supposed to be scary but ends up looking scary because it's like, oh, the, the lighting is just off in this wrong way, or like the, the way that the character looks is like either missing the wrong kinds of details, or they have a horrible rictus grin, and it just is like, oh, this is uncanny in a way that makes me want to die. So, those would be the most uh, successfully un- uh, unintentionally scary games I've come up with. Hmm. I mean, I've had some games that went to really weird places that were just like, oh, I've got some existential dread going on here. Mm-hmm. Not so much in the visuals, just in the plot beats. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, Mr. Bones for the Sega Saturn? Yeah. That was kind of a weird game, because he could you're you're hanging around in graveyards and shit, and then his bones fall apart, and you've got to mash buttons to get it back together. I I thought that was kind of a weird game. I don't think it was, it was ever meant to be scary, but oh no, no, I'm supposed. Yeah, really good music though. I'll tell you. Yep. Like a gathering to laugh, so you can keep advancing forward. And if you tell the wrong punchlines, like you get punched in the face and die. <laughs> it's a weird game. It's a weird, weird game. Um, uh, um, I just realized that Fireminer's Twitch name is the real Fireminer, and I guess we need to look out for an imposter now. Well, keep in mind. <laughs> Might happen. Um, let's see. 
Is it just me, or have game developers abandoned destructible environments? It's not just you. I mean, it's just they're computationally expensive. Yeah. Yeah, just too much effort for not enough gain. Like, unless your game is about blowing up the environment, like, you just end up with, like, a ton of raw processing power de- uh, devoted to the possible event of something getting blown up. Yeah. And so, you really only see them in games that are about them, like the Earth Defense Force. Mm. Everyone play the Earth Defense Force, that's a real fun dumb game. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, you'd have. Uh, I think the first game I remember where like the technology of blowing up the was really the selling point was uh, Red Faction. Yeah, it was really not that impressive in that game, to be honest. I mean, it was impressive given that you hadn't seen it happen at all yeah. in other games. But yeah, GeoMod was like, it's it's a very limited technology for a reason, like. You try getting so, something on the power level of PS2 to do, uh, like... Well, I'll put it this way. There's a reason that uh, Rift Defense Force 2 on PS2 is both uh, extremely ugly and ex- has an extremely bad frame rate. Like, getting the entire city to be destructible and making sacrifices on basically every other access. So... Uh, well, I mean, I think... Um... Well, I think the Battlefield games always did a good job with it for the most part. Like Battlefield mm-hmm. 1 and Battlefield 5 especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, Infamous Second Son, I thought, did very, a very good job with the destructible buildings and shit. Mm-hmm. Red Faction Guerrilla are... had really good destruction. That was about it, but it did have that. <laughs> it had that. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. Remember Red Faction for the Engage? No, what? no, 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 stop. No, that doesn't oh, say John Romero was involved. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, what? Let me double check that, but I think John Romero's company made Red Faction on the Engage. What the fuck? I don't know if I want to know about this. That sounds horrifying. Okay, what can I find about this? Um, why why a first person shooter in the engage? Uh to prove that they why could not? I guess. Is there a port of doom on engage? Absolutely not. Yeah. There's a port of doom within Doom now. Yeah, that was cursed. That's, that's just too no. There's that's, so, that's too meta. <laughs> <laughs> They've entered the matrix now. Okay, so Red Faction and who made this? Um, I'm just going to assume it was Volition. The port was developed by John Romero and Tom Hall's Monkey Stone Games. John Romero has stated that he did not play Red Faction prior to developing the engaged <laughs> port. <laughs> also, Wheels, I want you to imagine. Imagine for a moment. Red Faction Engage has both a single player and a peer to peer multiplayer component for up to two players connected via Bluetooth. I want you to imagine finding the one other person with an Engage who has a copy of Red Faction. In fact, they don't have a copy of Red Faction. You have to buy them a copy of Red Faction because why the fuck would they own a copy of Red Faction on the Engage? (laughs) And you two are going to sit here and play multiplayer Red Faction on the Engage. Yeah. 
What the hell is the engage? What if you get a because phone call on your engage while you're in the middle of a red faction? And you start by talking, you piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> the engage was a uh, portable made by Nokia. Uh, it was designed to be be able to be something that they could construct on their uh, production lines that were designed to build flip phones and brick phones. Uh, right, it went great. You had to remove the battery to change cartridges. Uh, that's awful. It's uh, it's it's not. So is the system. <laughs> Remember sidetalking.com? Oh god. <laughs> Oh god, it's still here! It's still <laughs> online! Thank god! <laughs> Update 9th October, uh, October 9th, 2018. Original side talking page is now available on the for the web archive. See them all, the original side talk classics, by clicking here and crying. Yeah, it was side talking. It's a Christmas um, miracle. SideTalking.com, for those who were not uh, blessed with images, uh, with uh, knowledge of the N-Gage at the time. So basically the N-Gage uh, is uh, best described as taco-shaped. And <laughs> the way that it's, the, the way that you have to engage with it as a phone is you have to hold it like holding a taco up to your ear. It looks ridiculous. I'm going to just pull the, one of the original side talking images, so that you can look at what this actually was, how this actually had to be held. Uh, but yeah, like just it, <laughs> it's impossible to not look ridiculous. But uh, in response to this, uh, people reached a point where it's like, oh, uh, what if I just held up completely random things to my ear? <laughs> And so there was a there was a brief uh, mid ops internet trend of submitting images to side talk and of holding something ridiculous to your ear and pretending it was a phone. And that's that's the good times. This is one of the most uh, early ops internet images I think I've ever seen. So I'm going to inflict it upon you all. Oh no! Oh no! All I know is that back in 2004, when I went to college, my parents bought me my first cell phone because they wanted to be able to call me. And it was a Nokia navy blue brick phone, and I played Snake on it. And it was awesome. And I didn't have to pay a dime. Snake. And then in, 2000, in 2007, they were like, oh, you have a job now. Yeah, get your own phone. So that's when I got a Samsung flip phone and changed my number. And that was a much better phone. Hmm. And then I got a couple um, Blackberries after that. And then I've been flip-flopping between Galaxy and iPhones for the past 10 years or so. But yeah, like, there's, there's a lot of images here of people holding different video game consoles on their hands. <laughs> So, yeah, let's all consider the engage. Let's not consider the engage. Um, oh, they didn't um, even spell it right. It's N gauge. Oh. Yeah, N dash gauge. There's a port of Splinter Cell Chaos theory on that. You should play that, because. No. I already played that. That port 
I already played through uh-huh. that on 3DS. You know, I have yeah. seen this before. Oh, it had Tomb Raider on it. Yep. <laughs> I bet you'd love <laughs> playing the original Tomb Raider on a screen that is taller uh, than the original. No. Oh, yeah, my favorite, my favorite Engage game, Sonic N, which is a version of Sonic Advance for the Engage. Uh, uh-huh. Again, that is a screen that is taller than it is wide. It is. You are just crashing into things constantly. That's horrible. Because it's a screen designed for cell phones. Um, okay. Let's set another couple questions. <laughs> I found all the pictures you were talking about. They're power. There's a guy. Yeah, it's like he's holding a giant version of the N-Cage up to his ear and one guy looks like he's got some kind of arcade stick. To, uh, some guy's holding a PS2 up to his ear. What the fuck? Side-talking was the way of the future. That's why we're all still side-talking to this day. Um, we are. Let's see. Yes. I just, I just talk on speakerphone because I don't feel like holding the phone up to my ear anymore. That's A-side. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, to hit him oh, then here's this weirdo holding a Linksys router up to his ear. Okay. <laughs> see. Um, oh, oh, no. Hit some more questions. You know, I always wonder why other companies haven't taken the shot <laughs> the idea of Dark Souls but named in Japan and from Stealthcore still hasn't made no token sequel. Um, uh, since this question was asked, we've, I believe, technically had multiple of those because we have Neo and we also have uh, Sekiro, which is probably what prompted the question in the first place. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that's a fairly well served niche at this point. Uh, but I will say, the reason we aren't getting an Otogi sequel is that character action games aren't very popular. Sad but true. We get we get the occasional Devil May Cry and the occasional Bayonetta, and that's kind of it. <laughs> Uh, and uh, here's one. It's a, it's a real question for the true doom murder heads out there. No, no naps, Meg. No naps. I'm not napping. There'll be no sleeping. <laughs> Wales is extremely, extremely awake and extremely alive. That's right. Extremely. The capital E. Can you play a game that I actually like? If you give me the name of a game instead of a broad passive aggressive suggestion, yes. (laughs) Oh, but I love being passive aggressive. What do you want me to play? I I don't know. You are a subscriber. Just just not Monster Hunter. Fine, after I fight this weird. (laughs) After I fight this Ketsu. Okay, uh, in any case. Another question. Anyone remember Beat Down Fists of Vengeance? Yes. That game really makes me think about Japanese game developers moving uh, more towards games familiar to Western audiences. The odds question, though, is when when did they truly commit themselves to it? About 2006, when video games became extremely expensive to make, and they were like, oh, this can't just sell in Japan or we'll die. And they thought that the way to sell in America was to try to imitate Western games and made a lot of very bad games. Uh, beat down Fist of Vengeance. For the record, I do remember, and it sucks shit because it was made by KBA. Um, so this resulted in love a couple bad movies too, as I recall, because I remember this was the the reason given for the Golgo 13 movie being like it was. 
When was the Golgo like the eighties Golgo thirteen movie? The Golgo thirteen Queen Bee specifically. Okay, this was I was thinking like, like, Golgo thirteen anime was. club. And this was described as being a move that was originally developed with the intent of copying what Western audiences wanted. And apparently what that turned out to be was a James Bond movie with 90% of the actual plot gutted and then filled back in with gratuitous sex scenes. I mean, that kind of makes sense for Golgo 13, but not a good Golgo 13. Um, It's not a good Golgo 13 movie, and the... the, uh, us slash club sponsor Father Farge was very embarrassed to have this thing shown, <laughs> and he resolved to actually watch more of these shows before we got it on the screen because he'd been letting some of the older, some of those um, college seniors set the uh, um, the set play the, oh, yeah. the uh, discography Listen, there. The easiest, the easiest way to make a teacher regret letting mm-hmm. you make an anime club is to put violence jack on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Gogo 13 Queen Bee, I haven't seen. I have seen Gogo 13 The Professional, which is uh, dumb in a uh, dumb in a very specifically uh, Gogo 13 sort of way, but it's like the kind of thing you kind of want so, when you put in a Gogo 13 movie. So, like, I do like Gogo 13 The Professional. Mm hmm. Plus, it was directed by Osamu Dazaki, who is uh, who was a truly brilliant animation director. But yeah, um, plenty of gratuitous sex and violence in that as well. But I mean, it's called Go Thirteen. You, you yeah. need to expect some of that. That's part and parcel. <laughs> but yeah, Queen Bee, sex and violence. Yeah. Who's that? No, sorry. Lounging in my chair. Yeah. Man, Sex and devious stares in my direction. Okay. okay, we're not doing that. I only know the song from a Weird Al Yankee the Coca Medley, but that's in no, the I, so I, I know. Is it? Uh, my brain is now immediately going over to the song Closing Time instead. Oh boy! Yeah, because that's what the that medley shifts directly uh, into. Yeah, that was the next song in the medley. Yeah. When I was in eighth grade, people wanted closing time to be like our graduation song, and there and a teacher was like, "Isn't that about a guy picking up a girl at the bar and then they go home and you know, yeah." I mean, that's gonna make the kids want it even more. Um, uh, seriously. And, and this is a situation where it's like, okay, we're not listening that closely to the lyrics, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. No. Okay, I think we will hit two more questions before I fall asleep. Um, I'll question you. I don't know what I'm saying. You have no questions. Um, Wheels, did you beat Elden Ring yet? No. I don't think you've played Elden Ring. Play Elden Ring, damn it. No. Paint my chicken coop. I don't feel Uh, like (laughs) it. Make me. Can we talk about the weird D&D license games that came on the heels of Baldur's Gate and Planescape? Anyone still remember Forgotten Realms, Demon Stone? I do. It's I not do. super memorable. It's not very good. Okay, can, can I complain that I don't actually like Planescape Torment? I mean, I suppose you can, but I think you just kind of said all you were going to say right there. Yeah, it's fine. I, I don't it's a well-written it. game, but the Infinity Engine's kind of bad. Yeah, that and that it's it's a waste of that setting. Like that's the only Planescape mm. game we got, and 
I'm kind of bitter about it, to be honest. Anyone who likes Planescape Torment should, however, play Disco Elysium. Yes. We all should also play Disco Elysium. Should. Even yes, like Play it now. Play it right now. No. It is, it is not a good stream game. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> it has yeah. to be a very um, specific stream where people are watching and helping me make terrible choices. I don't think I'm ready for that. But um, what I was going to say was uh, there, there, there came a period where uh, Interplay had a license to do D&D games, but only under the auspices of calling them Baldur's Gate, which is why Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance happened the way that it did. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, like they got more and more into trying to find ways to bridge the gap between the perception that people didn't want to play old school style D&D games with like the fact that, well, we have this license to a popular tabletop game, so we need to do something with it. But I mean, the the worst aspect of that was the twice removed cousin Fallout Brotherhood of Steel, which was a attempt to take the Diablo style Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance engine and make it a Fallout game, and it's a really bad Baldur's Gate game and a really bad Fallout game. Yeah, that that wasn't by the same developer that did the Dark Alliance games, right? No, it was they not. went on to make the those the only good Champions of Norath. Games. Yeah, Champions of Norath, yeah. Realms of Everquest, which, and Champions Return Arms. Yeah. Which is a pair of very good, very good action RPGs. Diablo-style action RPGs, so good that even I thought they were good. Yeah, no, they're Diablo-style games. No, they were they were oh. that good. They were really yeah. oh, so, good. So hang on, then, Dave. What did you think of Record of Lodos War? Never played it. Didn't have it. Didn't have it on Dreamcast. Oh, okay. Dry. Thing about Record. Thing about Record of Lodos War in general is that. Uh, it is uh, only as interesting as its uh, visuals can be, because Record of Lost <laughs> War as a story is essentially a void. But, yeah. Uh, and we'll close out with a Neo Geo question, because why not? Um, how many people actually owned a Neo Geo when it first came out? Very few. It wasn't really... <laughs> the, the point of the Neo Geo as a piece of hardware that you could purchase as a console, was always strictly secondary to it being something that arcade operators could purchase. And so, you know, for, for arcade hardware, Neo Geo hardware, it's mind-bogglingly cheap, only $200 to replace whatever's in this cabinet that's no longer drawing money. Uh, whereas, you know, $200 to buy CyberLib for your home purposes is just depressing. But, yeah... So, like, there's not a lot of people who had Neo Geos at the time. I struggle to get put an exact number on it, but there's a reason a lot of those later cartridges are very, very rare. Uh, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I'm seeing claims of like a little over a million sold from the OGO Switch for like a 600 piece of do- dollar piece of hardware with $200 games. That's not a bad number. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, it's it's like asking how many people actually owned a uh, Capcom CPS charger. It's like this. I mean, it's it was boutique hardware made for only the most uh, rich and insane nerds.
Or the CPS changer? Anyone? No. 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 That was the that was the Capcom version of Neo Geo. Like you, it was the home model uh, of the Capcom play system. I didn't even know that was a thing that existed. It only existed in Japan, as as I recall. Well, there you go. But you know, if you wanted a perfect home port of. Final fight in the mid '90s, so or Saturday Night Slam Masters, or uh, like Street Fighter Alpha, or whatever. I mean, that was your best option for a perfect port in like 1994. <laughs> huh. But yeah, I mean, Capcom was much less interested in trying to keep this thing existing. So there's only a handful of CPS changer games, but it's it's a fascinating footnote in like why why is this who is this for <laughs> but yeah it was also limited by the fact that it was it was based on cps1 hardware right around the time that they were switching to the cps2 but, yeah uh she just wanted to do that <laughs> that existed <sighs> but yeah uh I'll put it this way. I've, n- I've never met a person in real life who had a Neo Geo when they were uh, things that people, that when there were new games coming out for the Neo Geo. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I think that's probably enough for the night. Okay. Oh, and one last question that Anyone remember when SNK started putting the Giga Power line on the intro screen of Neo Geo games? I couldn't tell you exactly what game they started doing it, but I mean, you know, they were always into like emphasizing this game came on a giant ass ROM chip, so. Uh, I mean, Yuck Mega Shock. That's part of the marketing slogan. Uh, in uh, in Japan, Yakumega Shock Neo Geo. So they were always uh, uh, actually bring back uh, Japanese developers uh, screaming, uh, like jamming the word shock in places it doesn't belong. That was a very mid-90s choice. Remember Alien Soldiers opening? No. So on the title screen of Alien Soldiers, Soldier is, let me, I want to quote this exactly. Uh, I believe it's based off a Mega Drive ad campaign in Japan. Okay, here we go. Um... Yeah, visual shock, speed shock, sound shock. Now is the time of the 68,000 heart on fire. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, the Mega Drive's advertising slogan in Japan was visual shock, speed shock, sound shock. And 68,000 referred to the uh, Motorola 68,000 CPU that Joss has used. So basically, we have done everything we can to make the Mega Drive look as impressive as possible with this video game. <laughs> Yeah, now is the time of the 68,000 heart on fire. It's incredibly, it's still one of my favorite phrases that's ever appeared in video games. 
but yeah, let's do our close out. Um, Gaijin. Books. Okay, let's see. Sound check. Uh, uh, okay, it sounds like the department has finished its innovations. Okay. Huzzah. Huzzah, huzzah. Hopefully they'll put in a bookcase or something, because I would love to stock some stuff. <laughs> yes, um, again, another random thank you goes to whoever it is who has currently read through four of my ebooks. Nice. So far this month, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is nice. Since July 2nd, we have like 400 pages were read. That's always wonderful. Yes, and they've, they've been leaving reviews on each one as they finish, too, which is even nicer. Wow. Please, ever, please everyone, be like this particular reader and leave a review. Even if it's a few sentences, just please, it helps a lot. Okay. What if it's so, a bad review? Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, there is going to be some uh, limitations to the goodness of this, but still. Um, please leave your thoughts anyway. Um, if they're good thoughts, then I'll be like very happy, and if they're bad thoughts, I will find some way of parodying them in a future installment. So, But yes, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Um... So if you enjoy tabletop role-playing games, if you enjoy watching them being played by somebody else, if you enjoy reading about them being played by somebody else, um, because, I mean, honestly, this is a cottage industry at this point, apparently, um, then this may be a good series for you. Uh, we have lots of bad uh, dice rolls and worse personal decisions to live vicariously through. And um, some really odd situations from time to time. Go figure. Because, hey, what do you know? It's tabletop RPGs. So, um, yes, it's, uh, again, let's see, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Um, we have nine episodes, two side quests, and a paralogue available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, and also in paperback, in collected form on in paperback. Um... Actually, a couple of individual episodes in paperback as well, because my dad was trying to experiment with something. So, um, just check it out. Let me know what you think. Thank you. Excellent. And actually, Wales, did you ever get to episode three? I have not started it yet. <clears throat> Probably sometime okay. soon. Okay. Okay. Joe, you got anything to plug? Uh, let's see. Well, I actually streamed today. I checked out the new Forza Horizon 5 Hot Wheels expansion. I was actually kind of disappointed with it because it, it's recycled from 3. And then, unlike the rest of the game, they decided to make it all grindy and linear. So, like, you have to start with a Class B vehicle and just keep winning races and grind your way up to the higher ranks. And I, I just thought it was structured very poorly and i don't understand how you can sap all the fun out of hot wheels but there it is when so, a game becomes everything i hate about Gran Turismo. yeah <laughs> and so yeah so i haven't been streaming much lately but that was uh i did stream today and and i may continue to do so i'm just not on any any kind of schedule right now um and i am still working on xenoblade chronicles 2 so i can get the third one 
Um, I was playing Metal Gear Solid Five again, and I finally beat that stupid mission where you got to save those kids from the oh, mine. Yeah, that's and, a good mission. And there's the one that can't walk, and you got to carry them. And I did not even attempt to stealth it. I just had quiet shoot everybody. Hmm. So I did get back into that, uh, but no, nothing else to plug at the moment. But you can still check me out on Twitch.tv, Smoking Joe eighty six, and uh, YouTube. Oh, actually, maybe I didn't mention this yet, but there is now a video of Ask Wheels finally playing my Super Mario Maker 2 levels. Yay. And you can find that on YouTube. Mm. So. All I have to add is that I spent a lot of MGS5 infiltrating to Friday on in love. Um, let's <laughs> see. Good. Have you- I can't remember if that's before, if you can get that tape before or after that mission. That tape's one of the easiest ones to get. <laughs> I guess the question would be have you met Code Talker yet? No. Okay, then you can't have Friday I'm in Love yet. But I want Friday I'm in Love, damn it. Well, oh, once you get I the have Code to... Talker, you'll get them. I have to get it, okay. I don't care if Monday's there. Um. But yeah, uh, wheels. Uh, I stream on twitch.tv slash askwheels. Uh, in addition to this regular Wednesday stream, we do a Sunday stream. Sunday night stream at midnight called Sunday Night Shenanigans, where we generally play multiplayer games with hilarious, often hilarious results. Uh, and we'll also be doing reviving an old YouTube series Dave and I had called uh, Adventures in Platforming will be primarily just a stream as soon as my copy of Klonoa comes in. So that's going to be the first, <laughs> first one. Uh, which will be followed probably by uh, Kirby, the 3D Kirby, and uh, Crash. I forgot mine. Yeah. It's about time, man. <laughs> yeah, that's it yeah. Gotcha. Uh... So, thank you to the stream audience. Thank you to Fireminer for the real-time questions, tag-teaming with Fireminer from about two years ago, uh, for providing our questions this week. Um, oh, you got two more viewers the second you started playing Apex. Um, <laughs> nice. But, yeah, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, and thank you to any and all listeners. Uh, if you'd like to ask us questions, you can ask them in the comments section on RPGamer, or you can ask them in the Discord of RPGamer. If you haven't joined the RPGamer Discord, you can get, uh, get an invite by going to uh, RPGamer.com and clicking the community tab, get an invite, and you can uh, maybe have wheels badly attempt to troll you, and you can respond by making fun of him. It'll be pretty easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Wow. Um, <laughs> you gonna try to defend yourself, or are you just gonna let that one? No, I'm too tired. <laughs> but in any case, um, yeah. So you can uh, ask us questions in the podcast section of the Discord, or on the, uh, or in the chat of the uh, Twitch as we stream the podcast recording live. Uh, that's usually on Wednesday nights. Uh, 9 Pacific, midnight Eastern. Uh, yeah, we always value uh, any questions and 
you know, or just people paying me attention to all But yeah, uh, so thank you one and all to those who have uh, listened and once again to Firefighter for providing our questions. But for now, uh, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. See ya. See ya.